Father's Day is tomorrow, and a study shows that the role of dads is more important than ever. According to researchers, fatherlessness is contributing to a host of social problems, including crime, school dropout rates, and poverty. Research from the Institute of Family Studies, a foundation that has done a lot of work in this field in general, shows dads are incredibly important. Around 25 million children, 33%, live in homes that do not include their biological fathers. In 1960, that number was only 11%. The number is much higher in minority communities, 58% of black children and 31% of Hispanic children are living apart from their biological fathers. While both boys and girls are negatively impacted by an absence of fathers, the research shows that boys are being hit especially hard and the result of growing up without fathers in the home is disproportionately leading them to become threats to themselves and their communities. The report found that boys who grew up without their biological dads are twice as likely to end up in jail, half as likely to graduate from college, 80% more likely to be idle in their mid-20s, meaning without jobs and not in school. The study also found that divorce, which almost always results in the father leaving the home, has a greater negative effect on kids than the death of a parent. A concerning aspect of this research is that it tends to be an escalating cycle. Boys who grow up without their biological dads are more likely than not, or more likely not to be a presence in the lives of of any children they have. And it's not just boys. I found this study in Psychology Today by Nancy Drexler. She studied 75 of the highest achieving women in the United States. She said, I was surprised that every one of the women still viewed their success through the lens of what their father These are women at the top of their careers, at the top of their industries, just knocking the cover off the ball for what? To show their dad what they could do. Every person in here today is marked by his or her father. For good or for evil, you are marked by your father. Every person here today is dominated by their father. And you may say, well, I don't have a father. Your life, your history, your destiny thus far has been dominated by the empty chair at your dinner table when you were a child. There are six kinds of fathers which kind of father did you have? Dad's in the room. Which kind of father are you? Future dads, which one will you be? For some of you, the story of your father is tragic. He was taken from you at an early age through an accident 
or maybe the military, perhaps he was a first responder, you miss him, but you're probably not embittered against him. In fact, you're probably proud of him. Others had a terrible dad. Your father was a terrible man. He was happy to sleep with your mother, but then he left once you arrived. He did not put food on the table. He did not put a Bible in your hand. He did not put a kiss on your forehead. He abandoned you. He was a terrible man. For some of you, your father was tough. He was there, but he was more like a football coach or a drill sergeant. He intimidated you. He dominated you. He threatened you. Perhaps he lifted a hand against you. Maybe that's why some of you love sports so much. It's because it was the only way you could connect with your dad. For some of you, your dad wasn't tough. He was tender. He was a sweet guy. He was a nice guy. Most huggable in high school, most likable in college. Problem was he had no spiritual backbone. He was a jellyfish. He wouldn't stand up. He didn't fight for the family. He couldn't make any money at work because of the other guys. Dominated him conquered him. Maybe he let your sister date and ultimately get taken advantage of by tough guys. And because he didn't like conflict, he put his family in harm's way. If he was a Christian, this was particularly confusing to you. A man needs to know when to be tough and when to be tender. For others here, you had a tolerable dad. He wasn't an awesome man, but he wasn't an awful Man, he did an okay job compared to most. You had it pretty good. Somewhere between Frank Reagan and Homer Simpson, kind of a C student, just shooting down the middle. And for a few of you, you had a terrific dad. Your dad stayed faithful to your mother. He gave you a Bible. He took your family to church. Your family was led by a man who knew when to be tough and when to be tender. Your dad was present. He worked hard. He cared for you not just financially, but also emotionally and spiritually. He protected you physically. He informed you theologically. He pursued you evangelistically. You had a terrific dad. Not many of you did. And if you did, you need to know this. You're a unicorn. For the rest of you in the room, you heard about a terrific dad. You didn't know it was true. You thought it was some fictitious creation. What about you? What kind of dad did you have? Just a few weeks ago, the NFL draft was on TV, and these incredibly gifted super athletes overnight multimillionaires in their first interview, what would they say? I want to thank my mom. I want to thank my grandma. What about your dad? I don't know where he is. Isn't it crazy? Absolutely amazing that the sport that we find the most masculine and most aggressive men, could it be that they're all fighting their fathers? So where am I going with this? I believe there's only one thing that's stronger than a dad, and that's the healing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of the strongest enemies 
that you and I will ever face in our spiritual walk is fighting through the aftershocks left behind by our dads. So let's talk for a minute, not about you, but about your dad. You did not arrive on this planet like the Lord Jesus Christ without an earthly father. You came from some man. What was he like? Personally, I was blessed to be raised by a father who could be, I certainly do classify as a terrific dad. Not perfect, no one is. His dad, on the other hand, was not. And sadly, one of the most common threads that I deal with in my ministry is the stories of dads. My dad was 38 years old when I was born. There was a generation between us. His dad was first generation off the farm. My grandfather was a hellfire and brimstone evangelist in the early 1900s. He knew how to turn any limb on any tree into a switch. And sadly, my dad told me one time he didn't know sometimes why he was getting whipped. My dad had to raise me as a teenager when he was in his 50s, and he was a teenager in the 50s. And in the moment, I thought he could use some pointers. Looking back on it, I think he did a pretty good job. My point is this. Don't judge a man by where he is. Judge him from where he came from. For some of us, we had a terrific dad, and we started in the red zone. For others, your dad was an alcoholic, and you started on the five-yard line, and you had to go the distance. And still some others, your dad was still in the parking lot tailgating and didn't even know the game had started. And for you, you've got quite an uphill battle. But you're here today. It's Father's Day 2022, and you're sitting inside Mill City Church, and I perhaps just described to you a hurt that you thought had been put behind you and buried only to have it dug back up and put in your face. Today I want to share with you what I believe the Lord laid on my heart a few weeks ago that deserved a Sunday morning. It may be more impactful to some of the men in the room. It may have been more appropriate for a Friday night men's rally, but I believe the Lord has something for all of us here today. It's rooted in the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Now, this is the last book of the Old Testament. These are the last two verses of the Old Testament. And as I said last week in 2 Timothy, what do you say for the end? That which is most important. And after these two verses, God would be silent for 400 years. He says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. That's a prophetical statement of a man by the name of John the Baptist. who would open the door um, in ministry for the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. 
And it says this, he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of other utter destruction. What does that mean? That means that John the Baptist's ministry of, of reconciliation and repentance would include turning the hearts of fathers towards their children and children towards their fathers, lest God put a curse on this nation. And I'm here to tell you today, that describes the United States of America. Do you realize that this nation is under God's curse? Why do I say that? The fact that the most dangerous place for a child is inside a mother's womb is an indictment of the fact that father's hearts in the United States is not for their children. 20% of all babies conceived find their way out of the mother's womb through an abortion and never take a breath of life. And if there's one thing that will turn God's hand against a people, it is that. We are living under a cursed of God. We're living in a cursed nation. We're raising children in a cursed nation. Our grandchildren are being raised in a cursed nation. It's a sobering thought. Fathers' hearts are not for their children. In turn, children's hearts are not for their fathers. Good luck finding a TV show called Father Knows Best today. In fact, every cultural depiction of a father today is one of an idiot who is absent and every movie that our children are exposed to, the dad is the imbecile, the child is brilliant, the pet, the dog, the cat, the squirrel saves the day, and dad had no idea what was going on. Am I wrong? Nope. Things aren't going very well for dads today. For the very first time in our nation's history, more children are being born to women under 30 out of wedlock than in 40% of children today will go to bed without a father. At some point, the majority of children will live in a home, not with their biological father, but with their mother's boyfriend. It's normal today to not have a father. The number one consumer of pornography today is boys between the age of 12 and 17. Statistically, they're not marrying before the age of 30, which means from the age of 12 to 30, they're preparing themselves for nothing more than a head-on collision with reality. And what else is going on during this time? Boys in their 20, let's just call them that, they're boys. They're men who can, boys who can shave. They're least likely to go to church. Listen to this. They're less likely to have a driver's license than girls in their 20s. And more boys in their 20s are living with their mom than living with their wife. How do you know if you have a father wound? 
I'll give you some examples. Some men have a great fear of marriage and family. They're paranoid. They're literally paralyzed, polarized to marry and have children and take on any level of responsibility because they have a father wound. For some, it manifests itself through a rebellious spirit. Fathers are supposed to provide authority structure in the home. And if you have a father wound, you rebel against all authority. You think it's edgy and attractive and cool. It's not. For others, it's a self-indulgence. Because if you grew up in a home without a father, your mother made you the center of the home. If there's a dad, it's clear I'm not the most important man in the house. For some, it shows up in your study. You spend time and energy reading books or, or listening to sermons of, of men in years past or men you will never meet and you take on their, the, their theology, their ideology, their perspective because you don't have a father you have a father wound, and you don't want a father who's involved in your life because you didn't have one, so you go find one for yourself. I got it. In the wake of our gender confusion, some people have chosen to identify God as mother. Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father. Seems pretty clear to me. That crosses all generations. God is not engendered as we understand it, but he does reveal himself as father. People who identify God as mother have a father wound. Finally, it presents itself in the wrong view of God. For most of us, our view of God is either a projection or a rejection of our earthly father. And what I mean by that is your view of God is either a projection of your person, your relationship with your, early, er, your earthly father, or it is a rejection of your relationship with your earthly father. If you're an atheist, I got no dad. If you're an agnostic, I never met him. If you're a deist, he's not involved in my life. If you're Arminian. He lets me do what I want. You're Calvinist. He's overbearing, domineering, and not very nice. You're a liberal. He's a permissive parent. He buys my beer because he loves me. If you're charismatic or Pentecostal, I love the Holy Spirit. If you're a Bible church or a Baptist or a fundamental, I love Jesus. What about the Father? Uh, I'm not worried about that. You see, father wounds are so prevalent today that it's found its way in the church. And for some, as a Christian, you find it very easy to say, I love Jesus, but you can't say, I love the father because you have a father wound. I want a personal relationship with Jesus. I don't really want a personal relationship with the father I want to be like Jesus. I don't want to be like the Father. It's because you have a father wound. You don't understand the fatherhood of God. And we can get really excited about Jesus because the focus is on the Son and He's the hero. But the Father 
isn't part of the story. But remember, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and no one gets to the Father except through me. You see, Jesus' job is to get us to our dad. We get our forgiveness from the son, but we get our healing from our father. You see, you can be forgiven and still be broken. The Holy Spirit's job is to get you to the son for your forgiveness. The son's job is to get you to the father for your healing. And I believe that's where we can find ourselves today, Father's Day, 2022. So let's talk about God the Father, because for some of you, this is the number one roadblock in your spiritual journey. Jesus said, when his disciples asked, how do we pray He said, this is how you pray. Our Father. Our Father. If you were here last week, I made an emphatic point that we are not to live culture up, but we are to live kingdom down. If we live culture up, that means we look at our culture, we look at, at the way things appear to be, and then we present them to God and say, here, God, you need to take me the way it is. That's, the, that's as, as old as Cain and Abel. It caused the first murder. But cultures come and go. Cultures come to an end, but the kingdom of God will last forever. And so we don't look at the culture and go up to God. No, we look at the kingdom and we apply that to our culture. So we can't look at fathers today in our culture and assume that to be God the Father. No, we look at God the Father from a kingdom perspective and then that will help us to assess the culture and earthly fathers. Jesus comes on the scene and changes everything up to this point Only 15 times are recorded in the Old Testament referring to God as Father. And never from an individual perspective. It was always from a national perspective. He is the Father of the nation of Israel. But Jesus comes on the scene. He turns everything upside down. And one of the things that he turns upside down is this relationship, this perspective uh, of God as Father. Father, over 180 times, Jesus refers to, in just the four Gospels, refers to God as his Father. How often do you talk about God the Father? How often do you talk to God the Father? I have three children, Michael, Lauren, and Emily. And I have a fourth one that came on. Michael and Ashley got married four and a half years ago. I got a fourth. I'm looking forward to adding two more in the Lord's time. (laughs) I love my children dearly. I know them well. In fact, in in some ways, I know them better than they know themselves. I love to talk to them. 
I almost always love when they talk to me. But I cannot imagine going through life. Days, weeks, months, years, without ever hearing their voice. Without ever being able to talk with them. There's no reference to any prophet or king or writer of scripture in the Old Testament referring to God as Abba, Father, until Jesus comes and he changes everything. So in order for us to understand how we should view God the Father, we can look at Jesus' relationship with God as God the Son. And the first is this, Jesus lived from the Father's identity. We see this scene in Mark chapter 1. Jesus is being baptized. All three of the triune God are on the scene. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus submits himself to being baptized, even though he didn't have to be, for, for repentance. He did it as obedience. He's coming up out of the water. The Holy Spirit descends upon him as a dove, and a voice from heaven, God the Father, says, This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is critically important because up to this point, Jesus has never preached a sermon. He has never performed a miracle. He's never healed anyone. He's never delivered anyone. He's never raised anyone. And yet, the Father looks at the Son and says, You are my son, and I am proud of you. You see, Jesus worked from his identity, not for his identity. Achievers in the room, you need to understand this. You need to know this. God didn't create you to achieve his pride, his joy, his affection, his love. He made you to receive it. And if you are a son of God the Father, God the Father is pleased with you regardless of your performance and your identity will dictate your activity. Because when you know who you are, then you know what to do. If you don't know who you are, you don't know what to do. But Jesus knew who he was and he knew what to do. If you're a Christian, Romans chapter 8 speaks to you. It says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Now, lest you get uh, upset about the gender, the you know, what about me? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a girl. I'm, I'm, a, oh, I'm, I'm a daughter. No, no, no. In this day, daughters had nothing. They had no rights. They had no inheritance. And so in context, you want to be a son. Now, Paul clarifies that and says, in the kingdom, in Christ, there is no male, female. There is no free, no slave. We're all one in Christ. With the context here is you are made a son of God. You have traded places and you have a father. And by that spirit, you cry out, 
Abba, Father, because you are a child of God. And your heavenly Father knows you, and he loves you, and he is proud of you, and he will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. He will never lie to you. He will never betray you. He will never abuse you. He will never leave you. He will never abandon you. He will never turn his back on you. You are his son. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is well pleased with you. Second, Jesus worshiped in the Father's house. This is kind of an interesting story. We haven't have a whole lot of childhood stories of Jesus. Uh, this one uh, is particularly interesting to me because uh, they, have, they have gone to Jerusalem for the Passover. They've now left, and assuming it's in a big group, but even when I'm in a big group, I kind of know where my kids are, <laughs> right? And they've gone a couple of days here, and they're like, hey, where's Jesus? I haven't seen him for a couple of days. What? And so they go back to Jerusalem, and they keep looking for him. They finally find him. And he says, what are you looking for me for? Didn't you know where I'd be? I would be in my father's house. Now, this is particularly to the dads in the house. Church isn't for God. It's for you. God doesn't need church. You do. Dads, you need to lead your family to the father's house. Dads, if you're not recognizing that it is your responsibility and you're letting your wife lead your family to the father's house, then you've got a problem. It's not your wife's responsibility. It's yours. And if you find yourself sitting on the couch or you're out on the golf course or you're out on the lake or you're up at your place up north because life's just hard and you need some me time, you need to understand your kids aren't the only kids in your house. You need to get a hold of yourself. And you need to take your family to the father's house and meet with your dad. Your boys will grow up to be like you. Your daughters will marry men like you, and so you need to make sure to lead them to the father's house. When fathers come to know the Lord, statistically, mothers and children do too. When they don't, they don't. That's just the way it is. So the question isn't, are you leading? The question is, are you leading them to your father's house? You are to lead your family to the house of God, to sit under the teaching of the word of God, to be in the presence of God with the people of God. That's what sons do. They spend time in the father's house. Third, Jesus reflected the father's heart. Jesus says, anybody who's seen me has seen the father. See, the Father lives in heaven. Jesus came to earth to mirror the Father. 
So when we look at Jesus, we see the Father's heart. So if you love Jesus, if you love the mercy of Jesus, if you love the justice of Jesus, if you love the compassion of Jesus, if you love the truthfulness of Jesus, if you love the commitment of Jesus, then ultimately you love the Father because that's the Father's heart. And that's why you and I are still here. If you're a believer, you're here to reflect the Father. You reflect the Lord Jesus Christ like Father, like Son. That's our job. We love with the Father's love. We forgive with the Father's forgiveness. We give with the Father's generosity. And that's where some of you are going to find yourselves at a crossroads today. One of my most cherished titles is Dad or daddy. Now, my son stopped calling me daddy at some point, which is totally cool. I hope my daughters never do. Uh, And I share a lot of personal stories. Most of them are defeats so that you can recognize that you're not alone. One time uh, when, see, I think Michael was three and we were I bought my grandmother's car and um, she had uh, stopped driving and it was a if you ever get a chance to to buy someone who's elderly if you ever had a chance to buy their car it probably has really low miles it probably has you know great conditions been garaged the whole time I bought this 91 Buick Park Avenue it was like a boat But it was new enough, it was, you know, great condition, but it was old enough to where it didn't have a a passenger airbag. So we we drove down there together, and then we had to drive that separately. Uh, And and so Michael is three, he's still in a car seat, but he got to sit in the front seat for the first time in his life. He's still in his car seat, but he could sit in the front seat, and he's seeing everything. And I was just so excited and one time he called me, he's like, he's like, he's flying. He's like, I'm super, my daddy. <laughs> and then at one point he looked over at me and he goes, dad, you and me are the boss of my mommy. <laughs> and I said, yes, we are, but don't tell her. <laughs> At an early age, our children look at us and we're their model. You realize that? We were at a restaurant. We were at the, the uh, Lambeau Field. Uh, we, we stopped at the restaurant up there. What was that? Back in January, I think, Sandy. And we were sitting next to this table and there was a a mom and a grandma and a maybe four-year-old boy. And then dad walked into the room and sat down and that little boy's attention was 110% on dad. Dad, look what I did here. Dad, look what I did here. Dad, look what I did here. And everything was there. I mean, it was like, dad is here. And I remember I got up And it it so struck me 
And before we left, I walked up to that, I just leaned over to that dad and I said, I want you to realize that your son thinks you hung the moon. You see, we are to reflect our heavenly father. And when you mirror the father's heart, you forgive as the Father forgives. And today, some of you here today, unless I've just missed some reading some faces, there's some memories that have been packed away for many, many years that all of a sudden are as if they happened yesterday. And some of you here today, you had a terrific father, and praise God for that. But for many, you're carrying the weight of a dad who did a lot of damage. And today, the word of the Lord for you is that you need to forgive your dad. so that you can reflect your heavenly dad. Today can be that day where you can choose to close the book on that trial and send that case up to your heavenly father and choose not to try that case. And that doesn't mean that he's getting away with anything. What it means is that you are trusting your heavenly father to deal with everything. And what it will do is it will release yourself from a place of bitterness, judgment, and vengeance. And it will put you in a place of love, forgiveness, and healing. Fourth, Jesus surrendered to the Father's will. In Mark chapter 14, Jesus is in the garden. This is just hours before, perhaps less than an hour before his betrayal. The trial will begin that will ultimately lead to his death. And he says, Abba, Father... Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. This is a picture of a son who is clearly communicating to his dad his fear, his pain, his apprehension, his case. And yet, not what I will, but what you will. Father, I don't understand this. I don't think it's fair. I don't know why I have to do this, 
But in spite of all these things, I trust you. Is he worthy? Yes. The truth is this. The safest place for all of us is in the center of the will of God. And in this moment, Jesus is about to go to the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. And he knows what it's going to take. He knows it's his responsibility. He knows there's no other way. And in doing so, he also knows that he is then trading places with us. And in return, we're trading places with him. So he, the firstborn, the son of God, spiritually is trading places with us so that we can take the rights and the inheritance that is his. And in this moment, he is expressing very, very clearly doubt and misunderstanding, but ultimately he surrenders to the will of the Father. And maybe that's where you are today. You find yourself in a wake of someone else's decision, just like he was. Or maybe, unlike him, you're staring at a wake of your own. And it wasn't your plan. It wasn't what you wanted. It wasn't how you saw it working out. But here you are right now. Can you trust your heavenly father? Yes. In the fall of 2017, I found myself in the midst of the most difficult position, season of my adult life, and certainly in, in ministry. And while I can honestly say that some of it was on me, some of it was on others, most of it, regardless of fault, was really rooted in naivety more than it was malice, but it wasn't over quickly. And it sure felt like a lot longer than it was looking back on it. But I can tell you this, in the middle of the storm, I knew I was exactly where God wanted me to be. The psalmist says this, the righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from them all. Jesus put it this way, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace because in this world you're going to have trouble. But take heart. This world is not your home. I have overcome the world. You see, it's not the absence of trouble, trial, or tribulation. It's the presence of the Father that helps us to make it through. Fifth, and finally, the worship team can come. Jesus took the Father's hand. Jesus suspended on the cross between heaven and earth in his last statement. It says he called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
And in that moment, he breathed his last. It's an awesome word picture of what every single one of us really desire. That protection, that provision, that blessing of a dad who's got you. Came across this picture about the same time as that car ride. This is actually 2001. Right after we moved to Springfield, our first, or to Oshkosh, our first uh, summer here. Isn't he just the cutest? <laughs> Michael was two. So next time you see him up here leading worship, you know that's what he looked like. <laughs> I was taller than him at one point. It's one of my favorite dad pictures. You know, for many of us here in the room, and we are dads, you know that our healing often comes through our children. When we get to experience and I, you know, my dad was a was a chain breaker. It was like he saw the things that he didn't want to be. He had that relationship with his heavenly father and he became, I believe what God wanted him to be. It was about this season of, of life uh, this year. Maybe it, was, maybe it was fall of 01, but Sandy went on a, on a girl's weekend trip, scrapbooking. And it was the first time she left Michael alone with me overnight. Moms in the room, remember the first time you did that? <laughs> you left your child in the hands of your husband? Huh? She made it. We lived in a little apartment house in Oshkosh uh, at this time, and, and we had this little kitchen, and, and we had a, our kitchen table was actually a desk that we had put some, they had raised it up, so it was kind of like a bar, bar height, and, and it was oil-based paint, but it was white. And so I was in the other room, probably watching football, and Michael was in the kitchen coloring. Now, he's an incredibly gifted artist, but he was only two, and so he hadn't mastered staying in the lines or on the paper at the time. <laughs> And um, I walked in the kitchen, and like I said, it was a white table, and there's crayon all over the tabletop. And I'm like, instant Incredible Hulk. What are you doing? What, what are you doing? You're writing on the table. What are you thinking? Don't you see what you're doing? Rah! And this poor little kid, I mean, look at him. Can you imagine yelling at that face? I can't either. And he looked at me and he said, Daddy, will you still be my friend? Aww. 
take my hand. I know I'm not perfect. I don't have it all figured out. I'm dealing with some stuff here. I didn't cause it. How do we know what a perfect dad is? How do we know our dad wasn't perfect? Because we have hardwired in us what a perfect dad is supposed to be. It is our heavenly father. And it's like he's saying, yeah, I'll be your friend every single time. Just take my hand and I'll walk with you. And there's healing in this house today. love you so much that I'm willing to get down in the dirt and grab hold of something that can bring you some healing today. And that's the prayer of my heart for the last few weeks as I'm preparing this. Because for the last seven years, as God has blessed me, with man after man after man after man who has come to me and said, but you don't know what he said. You don't know what he did. You don't know what I've gone through. And you know what? I don't, but I do know this, that there is a heavenly father that loves you more than you can imagine. He's crazy about you. And he wants to take that from you. <laughs> Let him deal with it because it's not your fight. And until you get over that hump, it'll always be there. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I praise your name. I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity that you have given today. Across this room, there are some people that are dealing with some stuff today. male and female. Would you begin by just settling in right now? We lift our hands. We worship you. God, just, just begin to minister in a way that only you can. Pray in Jesus' name.